0: And so we appreciate you, Jason, and your wife for being here this morning. And thank you for willing to come. In Greg's absence and serve us. Um, you served this church for many months in the past, and we appreciate you coming again and serving this church again. So I'm so grateful that you were here. Thank you for those that took up our offering. Thank you for those that helped teach Sunday school. Thank you for those that helped um, Jason this morning in bringing our musical worship. I'm so grateful that you have chosen to be here this morning. And I hope when you came in that you brought a Bible with you or you have a Bible in some form in your possession. Um, and there's always Bibles in the back if you never come in with a Bible or forget one, um, just let you know, I always encourage you to have something that you can read God's Word with in the mornings, and hopefully, hopefully you came in, you got a copy of the bulletin or the worship guide, because on the back of that there'll be some notes. If you want to reference these notes, they'll be behind me on the screen, but we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, First Peter chapter 1. So I'd invite you to make your way there to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we are just going to be studying verse 10 down through verse 12. I was really tempted to just skip on to verse 13, because verse 13 starts one of my uh, most treasured passages in the Word of God, but there's some truths and some realities, and I believe some... words from God that we get there in verse 10 through 12 that we need to take the time to listen to this morning. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 10, I'm going to read down through verse 12, and then we are going to consider the Word of God together this morning. This is what the inspired pen of Peter writes. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, to look. I pray that this morning that God adds understanding and application to the hearing of his word and this morning. In the year of 1991 there was a movie that was released that was titled Some of you may be familiar with the movie, some of you may have no idea what I'm talking about, but in this movie, Hook, it had a cast of people including people like Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman and Julia Roberts and then the man that played Smee, which is one of my favorite characters, can't leave his name out, his name is Bob... Hoskins. But the crutch of the movie, the story plot of the movie was is that you remember the fairy tale of Peter Pan. Well now Peter has grown up. He has now married Wendy. They have now two children and he is a middle-aged man living what would be considered a successful life. And Captain Hook contrives a plan to kidnap the two children to lure Peter back to Never Never Land so they can have their one final battle. So as the children are kidnapped, and Peter then makes his way back to "Never, Neverland," there is the whole drama of the story unfolding of him trying to figure out who he is and who he was. And there's a very pivotal scene in the movie where you have this middle-aged Robin Williams, this middle-aged man, he's peering down into this pool of water, and he doesn't see the reflection of who he is. He sees the reflection of who he was. And he remembers that he is the pan. And he remembers of what he can do. And he can remember of what he did. And next thing you know, his spirit is revived and he comes alive and there's this great epic battle. A lot of humor, a lot of comedy. I would highly encourage you, if you're unfamiliar with Hook, to be familiar with Hook. There are so many good lessons that we can learn from the movie. But you know, sometimes in the life of the church, we can get so busy with life we can get so busy with governments we can get so busy with medical mandates and medical opinions and we can get so busy with the pace of life we can get so busy with all the things that we have going and all the different directions we're being pulled in that we can stop forgetting who we are in fact i put there at the top of your notes there on the back of the bulletin in the race to progress we can forget our foundation. We have too many people both inside the church and outside the church today that have all these ideas of what it means to be a successful church. And I wonder how many times God says you don't need to reinvent the wheel you just need to use the wheel that I've given you. And sometimes we need to be reminded that this thing called church, it's not our own ideas, it's not our own methodologies, it's what God has given us to do. And so here in this passage, here in this passage, Peter is writing to an early church, he's writing to a a group of believers which is in modern day Turkey and, and in southwestern Asia Minor, and he's writing to them and he wants to encourage them to not forget who they are. Last Sunday in the preceding passage, we talked about what we have as believers, what we have as a church. We talked about as a church, we have hope, we have faith, we have joy. But following on that, Peter wants to come back and says, do not forgive the main thing that we all have in common as believers in Jesus Christ. Now last week I told you, as Peter is writing, he is writing to the saved person. He is not writing to every single set of ears. He is writing to the saved person. So I want to be quick. I don't want to give you, if you're here this morning and you have never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you have never repented of your sins, if you've never cried out in forgiveness, if you have never turned to God before, I don't want to give you false assurance. And I don't want to give you false hope. And I don't want to say that these things are true about you. But I do want to encourage you, today is a day that you can turn to Jesus. Today is a day that you can turn to God. So as we look at these realities, and look at what Peter is saying. I don't want you to hear it from. That's not me. I am cut out. I am cut off from what he is saying. No, understand that if you have never made this decision before, today is the day that you can make the decision and it be true about you. So what is this primary thing that Peter wants them to remember? To not forget Well, it's the first three words there in verse 10. I don't know exactly how every single translation represented in this room would put it. But here in the translation that I am looking at, in my English translation, it says, concerning this salvation so then everything that Peter writes from verse 10 all the way down through verse 12 is all tying back into this picture of salvation he wants them to never forget to not forget their common bond in Christ is represented by their salvation how many of you woke up this morning doing a little happy dance because you're saved How many of you woke up this morning and you just couldn't get a smile off your face because you're looking around going, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. You know, it's one of those things that we get excited about at the moment and we quickly kind of get over it. It's like it just becomes like, who cares? Home, home." And I don't think that's what Christ intended when he hung on the cross and died for your sins to pay the way for your salvation. I don't think it's what God intended when he sent his son to die for your sins to make it possible for you you to be forgiven. And I don't think it's the Holy Spirit's intent for you to just get bored with the fact of being saved. So that's what Peter is getting into this morning. That's how Peter is continuing in the conversation in his letter. He wants them to remember to not forget the beauty of salvation. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just walk you through these next two or three verses and just let's talk. Let's have a little family discussion time and let's talk about what is involved with our salvation and why we so easily forget our salvation. So starting back in verse 10, as I already read into your hearing, but look at it again. Look at this picture of salvation. It says in verse 10, I'm going to go back. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. If you're taking notes or you're following along in the notes and the bullets, and the first thing I want you to understand is that what makes us so excited about salvation is law without grace you may say what do you mean law without grace spence well notice what peter is referring to peter is telling them that the people in the old testament the people that had come before him they had searched they had inquired about this grace that was to come so many times we become forgetful about the excitement and the gift of salvation because we have forgotten what law was like without grace this whole picture of salvation, it goes back to the original word, meaning that we are delivered. That means we are released from something. When you think about what this picture of salvation is, it's the picture that Christ took our place, died in our place. He fulfilled the law, which is salvation means the fulfillment of the law. And he is sitting at the right hand of the Father at this moment. You may jot down there in the margin of your notes or in the margin of your Bible, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. He reminds us that when Christ paid that penalty once and for all for our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the Father signifying that it is done. It is finished. I have fulfilled the law. I have done everything that God has given me to do. We see that now. But the Old Testament figures and the Old Testament writers, they didn't have that perspective. They were under the law. They were under the Torah. They were under the f- first five books of the Bible: Genesis, Aeschylus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so, even though that God had revealed revealed this picture of grace and this picture as salvation, He revealed it through the Old Testament. They were not recipients of it because Christ had not come. And so, Peter says, "You need to understand: you are in an age. You are in a season of grace, but it has not always been." so some of you in this room never remember life without air conditioning some of you in this room never remember life without a dishwasher and I'm talking about one of those motorized do it themselves kind of dishwashers some of you have no concept of what that is like now I realize in this room some of you are going to be like oh I got your beats okay great you walked up ten miles uphill both ways to school in the barefoot I got it bless your heart but you know what? I was 15 years old before we moved into a house with central heat and air. And now I'm looking at this three-year-old or this five-month-old and I'm saying, you all are spoiled. <laughs> I mean, you will never know what life is like above 75 degrees at night. I mean, you're never going to be in that environment. All we know today is what is today and how quickly we become spoiled, how quickly we become Week, how quickly we become a little bit akin or likened to this thing called air conditioning. But if we all think back, there was once upon a time that we didn't have air conditioning and everybody still lived. Everybody still survived July without air conditioning. How? I don't know. But we did it. And so what, what Peter is trying to say is, remember, there was a time that it wasn't like it is today. And you don't get excited today because you probably don't remember what it was like back then. I remember sitting there with a box fan in that window and a box fan in that window and one is pulling air and one is pushing air and me laying there on the fitted sheet and the minimum amount of clothes that I could go to sleep in and just sweating thinking, will I ever go to sleep? I remember those days. So you know what? When I'm laying there and I'm like, oh, I'm a little cold. I need to get a blanket. I'm like, woohoo! Because I remember what it was like without it. Well, so many times, church, we don't get excited about our salvation because we forget what it was like before Christ. So that's why Peter brings them back to this picture in the Old Testament. He said the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours, searched and inquired carefully. What were they searching and inquiring carefully about? Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. He is saying that these Old Testament figures, these Old Testament prophets, they were bound by the law. Every time, <clears throat> excuse me, every time they made a mistake, they had to atone for their sins. There was a sacrifice. There was a price. They had to keep the dietary laws. They had to keep the clothing laws. They had to keep the traditions. They had to keep the works. They had to keep all of these things to be right before God. But they knew that there was a time coming. Not only was revealed in the Old Testament, but it was longed for by the prophets. They desired. They said, oh, we can't wait till this day that is coming. But we are not bound by this legalistic form of religion. We are not bound by trying to be good enough and trying to please God and not bound by these multiple feasts and not bound by not being able to eat the food we want to eat and not being bound by not being able to wear the clothes we want to wear. We are so looking for this day. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we forget the beauty of salvation. We forget the excitement of salvation. Because we forget what it's like to live with law without grace. So Peter wants to make him very clear that this picture of law, the reason why we have now gone from a covenant of law to a covenant of grace is why? Verse 11. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. I to remind you this morning that it is impossible apart from Christ may jot down, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it makes it very clear. The apostles make it very clear. There is salvation in no one else apart from Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think that money is going to save us. Sometimes we think a job is going to save us. Sometimes we think a possession is going to save us. Sometimes we think that a decision is going to save us. We think that a political figure is going to save us. We think that Fauci is going to save us. Sometimes we have all these ideas thinking that our salvation is in... Someone else or something else on this planet. But what Peter wants to remind them is, is because we are no longer under the law per se, we are now in a stage in a season of grace we have something to get excited about but we can't get excited apart from Jesus Christ. And some of us we get saved and we say okay i am got saved, I've got that done so now let me go on. That's not a box you check. That's a life that you live. And it's a choice that you make for the rest of your life. Friday night we went up and had dinner with my in-laws. We leave the restaurant and we're headed and we're going to go get some ice cream. Had one particular boy that is very, very fond of ice cream. So we go down there and on the way to get ice cream, this Precious, precious three year old that I will not name <laughs> decides to start acting like, well, I can't say his mother, but he wasn't acting like his father. I can assure you of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he starts acting up. We get down there to the ice cream, and I'm like, you're not getting out. Until your attitude has improved. And, of course, he starts falling apart. I want to get out. I want ice cream. And so they all go inside. And I'm sitting out there because I don't want to contaminate the entire Brahms with a fit-throwing child. And so I'm out there with him. And I just tell him, you're going to have to calm down and you're going to change your attitude if you want to go inside. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting out there watching people eating ice cream in Brahms. And they're smiling and they're happy. And they're having such a good time. And I am in the parking lot with a fit-throwing three-year-old. You know, sometimes it's easy to forget why being a parent is so awesome. (laughs) And sometimes your children do the best they can to help you forget why it's so awesome to be a parent. And there's also the other times that they wake up in the first time of the morning and they're cuddly. Sometimes they think that, hey, these things are, they, they, and, and they're sweet and they're gentle and, and they're, they're fun to be around. And you watch, that's, you watch them develop and you enjoy seeing them mature and you think, oh, this is so awesome. But I want you to know that if you don't go through the difficult stages, you won't get to the sweet stages and you won't understand how sweet the sweet is if you don't know, understand how bitter the bitter is. And sometimes we come to this picture our salvation we forget who we were before Christ we forget who we are now in Christ we forget what it would be like if we didn't have Christ and so we don't get excited about our salvation and brothers and sisters if you can't get excited about who you are now then you don't have a very good grasp of who you were before and you don't understand who you would be without Christ today we talked about that a little bit more a little bit in Sunday school this morning about what it's going to be like without God's hedge or hand of protection upon his people. So Peter talks about in verse 10 and verse 11, he talks about the reason why they go so quickly forget their excitement or the reason why they so quickly get over the picture of salvation is they forgot what law was like without grace. But there's another element to this that I want you to see with me. Go back to verse 12 and you you read on down. And Peter continues and he talks about it was revealed to them. Who's he talking to? He's talking about the them being the Old Testament prophets. And he said it was revealed to them that all these things they were doing, serving God, writing about God, it says there in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. So what is Peter saying? Peter is saying that the people that came before them understood That it wasn't just about them, it was for the people that were going to come after them. And I want to encourage you this morning that this thing called life is not just about you. This life is not about you. This life is about God. But what is even more important is when you live this life, you understand that you're not living this life for you, you're living this life for the people that are going to come after you. And so that's what he refers to. He says that they realized that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you. The second thing that I want you to see is the reason why we so often forget the beauty of our salvation or the excitement of our salvation is we forgot that the salvation is good news. Now it doesn't matter what kind of translation you have and how the word order is. in that phrase there in verse 12 when it says the good news Two. That is all one word in the original language. And I'm going to botch up the pronunciation, but in the Greek, it's euangelizo. And what does it mean? It means proclaim the good news. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 when God tells Satan, Okay, you will bite his heel, but he will crush your head. He reminds them. But there is such a thing called good news, but the good news is only good news if it's proclaimed as it is intended to be. So he reminds them that this good news, it wasn't just that the Old Testament prophets knew about it, it's that this story, this picture, this announcement, it's being made by those, to those, through those, by the Holy Spirit. Some of us forget the good news of the gospel. A lot of you have this smartphone device. I know Ron doesn't, but he's probably the only one in the room that doesn't. And so, Ron, you'll just have to act like you know what I'm talking about here for the next few moments. And so the rest of us in this room, most of us have smartphones, and our smartphones are such things called push notifications. At any given time, an outside party will send you a message and it'll come up on your phone and you may get news alerts, you may get weather alerts, you may get amber alerts. I'm not saying any of those are bad, I'm just saying that so often you give permission to these other parties to be able to push information to you. And they're able to give you this information because they consider it to be newsworthy or noteworthy that you need to know. And so you will actually set these up and say every time this happens I want to be known because you want to stay in the news. We're living in a day and age that if you don't like one piece of news, you can go get a different piece of news. You can find somebody that will agree with you. You just search long and hard enough and you're going to eventually find someone that says what you want to hear and you can call that your good news. We are inundated with so many different sources of information and communication but you know what? It's hard to understand which is the good news and which isn't the good news. Because one person puts it this way and another person puts it that way. How do we define what good news is? Is good news that employment went down? Is it good news that hospitalizations from sicknesses went down? Is it good news that the Powerball lotto has reached a certain milestone and it's going to pay off? Is it good news that the high tomorrow is only 100 degrees? Is it good news that it's July and winter's coming? How do we define what good news is? So many times in our daily lives, good news is just dependent upon our emotions or my state in life. But you know, one of the beauties of the Word of God is He reminds us that it is good news... And this good news is timeless. This good news is not dependent upon your emotions. This good news is not dependent upon the culture. This good news is not dependent upon our fickleness. This good news is not dependent upon our health. This good news is not dependent upon the markets. This good news is not dependent upon your age or your position in life or who everybody is around you. This good news is timeless and this good news is for everyone. So that's why he says there in verse 12, he preached or announced to you through those who preached the good news to you. And you may sit there and think, well Spence why is this good news? Let me tell you why it's good news. Because this is what makes the difference between heaven and hell. This is what makes the difference between hope and hopeless. This is what makes the difference between works and and grace. This is what makes the difference between being a child of God or being a child of lawlessness. This is what makes the difference on the rest of your life. This one thing as it says it's, it's, it's supposed to be good news. What is this good news the gospel message? Well you could go back and you could write down in there Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 when the, ga- the angel comes to Mary and he says talking about the Christ that is coming he will save his people from their sins. He's reminding them that the, what the good news is is that every single one of us have sinned and rebelled against God and that sin and the rebellion carries the price of punishment death Eternity separated from God. Hell. But the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the sinless life, to fulfill the law, so that he could die in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, so that he could therefore earn the righteousness to be imparted to you. Well, how do I get that, Spence? How much does that cost? What all do I have to do? Where do I have to go? Spence, what does it take? And here is the beauty. You believe in Jesus. And by faith, you know that as a sinner, when you confess your sins and you ask to be forgiven of your sins and you ask Jesus to come in and be the Lord of your life, by faith you know that He will save you. You mean there's not an application fee? No. You mean there's not like a 10-page application like when you're buying a house? No. No. Is there a probationary period? I mean, do I get put on probation and God says, well, we'll see how you do for six months? Uh, No. Is there a committee that I have to go to or a board that I have to go to to be approved? No. Is there a minimum age or a maximum age? No. What about education? Is there an educational requirement? No. What What about my demographics? About where I live or what I do? Is there that kind of requirement? No. The good news is that salvation is available to anyone who calls upon the Lord. Now, what is required? In order for this to be good news, there are several things that are required. First of all, it requires recognition. It requires recognition. See, the Old Testament servants, the Old Testament prophets, as Peter is saying, they understood. They understood why it was good news. apostles understood why it was good news they lived under the law long enough and they were happy as could be the people here in the New Testament after the time of the apostles they understood why it was good news because they understood these people recognized that this was good news because they knew of the alternative and there's a whole world outside these walls that needs for us inside these walls to recognize that it's good news too So not only does it need to have recognition, but it requires a communicator. Notice he says there in the text, he says to those who preached the good news. It wasn't osmosis, it wasn't a banner in the sky, it wasn't an advertisement taken out in the paper, it wasn't a Facebook post, it wasn't anything like that. It was somebody telling someone else about Jesus. There was a communicator that was involved, so it requires a recognition, it requires a communicator, but it also requires... A listener. And don't get lost in that because it requires somebody to hear the good news. Oh, it's not enough for you to go in your bathroom when you're by yourself and start, start sharing the gospel. Jesus loved you. You're a sinner. You're not talking to anybody. That's not what he's called you to do. He's called you to tell people. He's called you to spread the word. He's called you to proclaim the good News, if you had gone back 50 years ago and somebody had said, what do you want to be? And you would have looked at them and said, I want to be a social media influencer. They would be like, what in the world are you talking about? Go do something. Go do something. And now we have individuals they are growing up and you're like, what do you want to be? I want to be a social media influencer. I don't know what that is. I don't get that. But you know, we have people that aspire to be known and to be popular among other people. But how many young people do we have growing up that you say, what do you want to do? I want to be a gospel influencer. I want to be a gospel proclaimer. I want to be the person to go out and to shout from the rooftops that Jesus lives. Brothers and sisters, we spend a lot of time trying to encourage our young people and trying to elevate and prioritize all the things the world calls to be, successful endeavors and successful enterprises, but we are doing such a poor, poor job of elevating and prioritizing the things of God. Because we don't think it's good news. Oh, we say, oh yeah, yeah, it's good news, it's good news, but we don't act like it's good news. But then there's a third aspect. He talks about the reason why they've forgotten the beauty of salvation is because they forgot what law was like without grace. And then he talks about they had really become numb or calloused or indifferent to this picture of good news. But then there was a third aspect, and it's really just the last phrase in verse 12. Here in the translation I'm looking at it says things into which angels long to look. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about what this means. You can go and you can find six different commentaries. You might find six different ideas about what this is saying and what this is referring to. So I don't want to get down and walk too much and dispense the suppositions. But let me just tell you in short what I think this verse is saying. This verse is saying that heaven is watching. I think we have forgotten in the church today. Not only have we have forgotten what it was like to live without grace, but we have forgotten why this good news is good news because we've stopped sharing with the people like we want to. You look statistically, and our baptisms are down, the evangelism is down, church membership is down, all the metrics that you look to see, the growth or the health of the church, they are all in decline. The majority of churches are either pat- plateaued aren't growing at the pace of the community around them or, 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 or are in decline and we see all these effects and I think not only have we forgotten grace, good news but we've also forgotten that heaven is watching now where do you get this from Spence? I, I hope you're asking that question, I hope you're looking at the text and I hope you're going okay verse 12 things in which do angels long to look and then you look at me and go and you say that heaven is watching where do you make that connection? I hope that you're asking that question so let me tell you where I get this from when he says things into which heaven longs to look I think that he is referencing many other instances in scripture let me give you for example 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 we are told that all believers will give an account to Christ well, if we're to give an account to Christ, then Christ must be watching what we are doing with our lives. He must be watching how we are living our lives. So when I stand before Christ one day, I'm going to give an account and He's going to say, you did this right, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this right. It's one of those things that He is going to be watching me. Right down there in your margin Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible tells us that we are Surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. If you go back up there in the pastor's study and on the wall, there was a picture and there was an old-fashioned uh, preacher that is sitting there at the pulpit and he is flanked in this painting by angels, saints, testi- the, the, the testimonies from years gone by that as he is preaching, he is not preaching by himself. He is preaching based upon the witness and the testimony of those that have come before him. We also realize that if you go back to 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, that we realize that we are, all believers, are watched by God. Let me read that to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. He reminds us that God is preparing a place for you because God knows who you are and God knows where you're going and God knows what you're doing. All believers are being watched by God. So then, and there's some other passages that we could look at, but we don't have the time this morning. But he comes back to say, remember that this whole thing of salvation, this whole thing of grace, this whole thing of mercy, this whole thing called the church, it's something that even the angels are looking at going, we're interested We're kind of wondering what this thing's going to happen. We're kind of wanting to know what is going on here. It's not that the angels envy us or covet us. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the angels are looking on going, this is intriguing. What is taking place here? So when he says the angels long to look, I get this impression that there are those, that there are those heavenly beings that are watching us. Now please, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying Aunt Martha is watching you right now. I'm not saying your dog Fido is watching you right now. I'm not trying to say that someone that has gone before you, that the dead in Christ are now watching us. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is, is that heaven, God is watching us. Heaven is watching us. What we do today, God knows, God sees. It even goes further beyond that. The world is watching the church. So when Peter writes, he says, You know, this thing called salvation, don't take it for granted. Because everybody in the world wonders at the beauty of salvation. And not only does people in the heavenlies, but people on this earth. The world is watching. church we could fill this place multiple times over with individuals that used to come to church but don't come to church anymore because people in the church or some of you this morning say you know what I was involved with this church or that church but because of the testimony of that church or because of what that church did I don't go to church anymore or I don't go to church any I don't go to that church anymore because people are watching the church. There's a world that is watching the Catholic church right now to see what they're going to do with President Biden and communion and his stand on abortion. There are people that are watching the church to want to know, will we capitulate? Will we compromise? Will we retreat? Will we give in? There are people that are watching the church. It's not just that the people are watching the church, but that heaven is watching the church. I think Peter wants to remind us to not forget. Do not forget going back to verse 10 concerning this salvation. He does not want us to forget what it's like to live with law without grace. He does not want us to forget that this picture of salvation and the news of salvation is good news. He doesn't want you to forget that heaven is watching because too many times we live our daily lives as if we're the only person that sees us. Peter says, Don't forget. Don't forget that you're saved. Don't forget that you're saved by Jesus Christ. Don't forget that you're saved by the love of God. Don't forget that you're saved so that you can tell someone else how they can be saved. Don't forget that you have been given this gift by God so that you can share it with other people. Don't forget that people are watching you. And these people that are watching you, do they see you excited? About church, do they see you excited about God? Do they see you excited about your salvation? I don't know where you're at in February, of 2008, but more specifically, February of 17th of 2008 was a Sunday. It was a special Sunday because it happened to be the 50th running. Of the Daytona 500. And I realize that some of you unpolished, uncultured people think, oh, it's just stupid and boring. You'll get there. You'll grow up. <laughs> but it's the 50th running of the NASCAR, or the, the Daytona 500, there in the sport known as NASCAR. A bunch of guys driving around really fast, doing left turns the entire time. I got it. But in that season of life, myself and my father and my brothers, we... That was a big thing around us. So dad had his driver, and Tucker had his driver, and Will had his driver, and Eli, he was less than a year old, he already had his driver, and so sometimes we'd sit there and we'd watch the races, and we'd jab each other and have a little banner. My favorite driver then, and my favorite driver even now, is a guy by the name of Ryan Newman. At that season, Ryan Newman was driving for a team owned by Roger Penske. He was for Penske Racing, and he had a teammate, a teammate more experienced, by the name of Kurt Busch. Well, Ryan Newman was pretty much a nobody. Really hadn't done much. Really wasn't that popular. And of course, Dad and Tucker and Will and all them—they had gone out and they'd picked more popular drivers and more, uh, more accomplished drivers. And so here it is, February 17, 2008. We're at my parents' house, and they start running the Daytona 500, which it's 200 laps. I don't know how much you know about racing, but this particular race, it's 200 laps, 500 miles in total. And in this particular race, they averaged over 152 miles an hour. Can you imagine driving for several hours at 152 miles an hour, average speed? It's exhilarating. So we're sitting there watching this race, and it gets towards the end of the race. I've been pretty quiet, because I really don't have a lot to talk about, because my guy isn't really doing much. Until the last two or three laps. Will's driver had been leading the most laps of the race, so of course Will confident that his driver was going to win. They go into turn three, and they can't In the middle of turn three and turn four, the guy gets a push. Ryan Newman is being pushed by his teammate, Kurt Busch, and they push themselves into the lead, coming in the middle of turn three and going into turn four. They come out of turn four, and the new leader, the Daytona 500, on the very last lap is Ryan Newman, being pushed by his teammate, Kurt Busch. Now, if you've watched very much NASCAR, you know that that thing will happen. Some some people will get in a group and they'll push and these people will push. And so just because, <coughs> excuse me, in the middle of the turn, you're leading doesn't mean much because there can be a challenge mounted. So they come out of turn four. The challenge is mounted. They 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 refute, they they push back the challenge, and so they're coming. And the start-finish line is not right in the middle of the track. It's a little bit beyond the track. And so they're as they're coming out of turn four, Ryan Newman. And Kurt Bush are one and two, and they're leading. And you're just like, Well, I can't get excited now. I got to be kind of quiet. I can't start, you know, running my mouth um, r- r- right yet. And so I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And then all of a sudden, they cross the finish line one, two, and the entire house knew. The entire house knew who won. And the entire house knew whose driver that was. I was excited, and I was pumped up, and I was so enthralled because I was like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine the 50th running. It was a huge deal to me, such a huge deal that years later, we went down to Texas Motor Speedway, and we toured the Motor Speedway, and in there, in the gift shop, they say it's one of the practice tires, our Fryman Newman's car, that they were selling a sliver of a slice of that practice tire, and I paid way too much money. (laughs) But you can come to my house and I'll proudly show you <laughs> the slice of the practice tire that supposedly came off of Ryan Newman's car. It was a huge deal. And they say, well, Spence, what does that story have to do with what we're doing? I'm in Oklahoma in 2008 and I'm watching a guy all the way down in Florida, a guy that I've never met, a guy that doesn't know me, and I'm watching this guy compete in a race. I am rooting for him, I am excited for him and when he accomplishes this I go ballistic to the point that now, years and years later, I am boring you with the same story this morning (laughs) but why? because I'm excited and because I got excited and because I have not lost that excitement of being able to watch those two people cross the line and the joy that I remember in the moment. Because I was excited. Now some of you have been in church long enough that you've gone through those seasons of being excited and not excited. You've gone through those moments of enjoyment and discouragement. You've gone through the ebbs and the flows and the life and the health of the church. But I ask you this morning, are you excited? Still excited about Jesus. Let me just quickly bring this to a close and let's just remind you of what you have. You see there at the bottom of your notes, I skipped this last time. Won't skip it this morning. I just want to remind you of what we have what we have is that you have been saved by a savior you have not saved yourself no one in this room saved you you have been saved by a savior so that is something to get excited about that is something to be smiling about that is something to say hoorah hippie I am saved we can say a lot of times oh well you know what I'm excited about this get excited about being saved and not just that, but you have something to say. Because when you're saved, you now have something to say. Found people, find people. Saved people, tell people. This isn't the Witness Protection Program. This isn't a big hush-hush, top-secret clearance program. Find Found people, find people. Saved people, tell people. Well, I don't know what to tell them, Spence. Tell them who you were before Jesus saved you. Well, Spence, I've been saved so long, I really don't remember exactly what it was like when I was, before I was saved. Then tell people what you'd be without Jesus today. Well, that's an awkward conversation. Really? Who makes it awkward? You? Would you not rather have that awkward conversation today than the awkward conversation they stand before God? Man, this is just Spencer's suppositions, and I know I got a few moments, but what if? What if? Before God sends a person to hell for an eternity for their sins, what if He let that person go and speak to all the Christians that knew Him that didn't tell Him? What if? Well, that's not the way the Bible tells. I'm not saying the Bible is saying that. I'm not saying that's the way it's going to happen. I'm just saying, what if you are in the audience and watching people be condemned to hell and those people look at you and say, you knew, why didn't you tell me? Well, I was too busy talking sports. I was too busy talking about the home life. I was too busy talking about work. I was too busy talking about whatever... The case may be. You have something to say, and then this last one, and we're done. You have one life to be faithful. You have one life to be faithful. You don't live this life and then get a second life and try over. You have one life to be faithful to God. Peter comes in here in this passage. And as Peter is riding into the church, he wants to remind them, be faithful to God. And how do you live faithfully before God? You stay excited about who you are. The majority of us come in on a Sunday morning. Now, not Rex. Rex already told me he didn't have a sour face on this morning. So it's not Rex. It's not Rex. Not Rex. I'm not talking to you, Rex. But some of us come in. We're tired. Or we're out not excited we're not smiling and we leave out of here and you're like oh finally he's done let's go to the let's go to the buffet let's get out of here i got everything i gotta do today i'm busy because we're not excited we're not excited about what god has done and we're not excited about who jesus is for us if we want a world to get excited if we want our loved ones to get excited If we want our neighbors to get excited, if we want those around us to get excited, if we want this community to get excited, if we want the people that we love to get excited, maybe the place it begins is us get excited about Jesus. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's not a matter of methodology. It's not a matter of programs. It's not a matter of lighting. It's not a matter of seating. It's not about, about a matter of faces. It's a matter of us remembering who we are. We are a church that is saved by Christ. We are a church submitted to Christ. We are a church with God's Word to proclaim. We are a church on a mission before God to disciple the found and to reach the lost. And that is who we are. And when we remember who we are, then that will change what we say. You bow your heads with me?